Inside the Adventure, episode 37 with Josh Salvo. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. This is your host, Marshall Mosher, and today we're going to hear the story of Josh Salvo, the founder of ReadyYeti.com, an online platform that helps emerging outdoor entrepreneurs get the traction and exposure they need by generating hype for their product through giving it away. This is done through seasonal gear giveaways, all coordinated on ReadyYeti.com. But Josh didn't immediately start with this idea of Ready Yeti. Essentially, he simply followed his passion for skiing through a couple of different businesses and ultimately into some pretty exciting places. Oh, how long have I been in New York? That's a good question. So I am originally from New Jersey, um, about 30 minutes outside of New York City, and I went to college in the city Uh, I went to Fordham University in the Bronx, lived in the Bronx for my freshman, sophomore year of college. And after my sophomore year of college, I left to um, start a business with one of my close friends, moved to Georgia, actually, (laughs) ironically, for a summer. I lived in Conyers, Georgia, which is like 45 minutes outside of um, Atlanta. And then I came back to New York for a summer or for the fall, then I moved to Utah for a winter, and then I moved back to New York and have been here since. So since then, I've been in where I am now for four years. So all over the place. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's, I, how did you experience the winter in Utah and then leave You know, as a ski lover? <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. Right? It was the hard, one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. That winter was one of the best six months of my life. <laughs> Uh, I, I skied so damn much and made so many close friends. Um, but for some reason the Northeast, I just, I can't get away from it. Like specifically New York, it doesn't, New York isn't necessarily known as being an outdoor city, but it has so much to offer in that realm and it has so much more in the realm of food, culture, and just being in one of the epicenters of the world you know what i'm saying i just for some reason can't get away from it it's easy to fly back out to utah whenever you need to right so it is it is but it's expensive that's true that's true well living in new york is expensive too well yeah yeah that's a very good point (laughs) uh well uh since uh, since you're a pretty humble guy, Josh, I'll uh, I'll go through and and read off all the awesome stuff you've done uh, to brag about you a bit, so everyone listening can get a little bit more of a sense for your background. So, since Josh graduated from Fordham University, which he just mentioned, uh, Josh has followed his passion for skiing and business in several endeavors. In 2011, Josh co-founded Village Skis, where he designed, developed, and built custom skis to perfectly match skiers' unique techniques, terrain preferences, and ability levels. Later that same year, Josh founded My Ski Profile, where he designed classic, sophisticated, and fully mobile-optimized web design and development services to various businesses focusing on skiing. 
From 2011 to 2014, Josh also conducted research in order to find the best and highest quality American-made ski manufacturers. This culminated in the founding of ReadyEddy.com, which was dedicated to promoting and supporting this community of small manufacturing companies. In December of 2015, Josh and the team relaunched Ready Yeti as a platform to help startups in action sports gain exposure by offering seasonal gear giveaways. Through his effort, Josh hopes to build a better outdoor sports industry with the goal of preserving our backyards so that our children's children can enjoy it even more than we do now. That's an awesome trajectory of different things that uh, built upon each other. But it seems like the main focus of that was your passion for skiing. Uh, tell us a little, a little bit about how you started skiing and what got you into the sport in the first place. Yeah, for sure. You First off, you make me sound a lot cooler and more important than I actually am. <laughs> um, <Very> cool. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I, I'm currently 25. I started skiing when I was three. Um, so my family's really big into skiing. You might wonder how the hell does some kid from New Jersey get so into skiing? And really it's because of my family and the families that were close to my family. So my best friend and founder, co-founder of Ready Yeti, um, Drew Funstein, he, um, his family, his parents were best friends with my parents and when we were before we were born, they were neighbors in uh, New Jersey, and they moved to Georgia. Uh, I want to say a year before I was born, um, and so every winter, to uh, sort of stay together and stay close, my parents and his parents would um, rent a place for the season in um, Vermont, whether it was near Smuggler's Notch. Uh, Stowe or in New Hampshire, it, like North Conway area, White Mountains. And so we would spend a ton of time together skiing all over the Northeast. I honestly, I, I've, I don't even know how many, I've skied so many <laughs> resorts in the Northeast and I just grew up loving it. And um, we became very close friends as a result of it. And we, in high school, we would, uh, Drew's, father was close friends with the owner of a ski shop, a demo center in uh, North Conway. And every season he would bring on, you know, 10 to 15 new models uh, for the upcoming, obviously for the, for the current season. And since he was friends with Drew's father, he would let us test all the gear for free, basically. So we would get the value of, you know, six or seven, eight hundred dollars worth of rental gear. And we would try skis from Solomon, K2, Razi, vocal all of them and we got to see all the differences and what made a ski more agile in the bumps or better for carving or in the trees or whatever it was and that sort of really sparked our interest into skiing and both of our parents were entrepreneurs run their own businesses and so we saw how much uh they loved doing that and we we're both like hey so um this entrepreneur thing's kind of cool we should uh do this and figure out a way to do it and ski as much as possible and that's sort of uh what spurred it all i i'm sure it's so much more helpful to have entrepreneur parents that kind of understand that mindset did they really encourage you to follow that when you were young yeah, so I actually, it was, my household was sort of split. So like my dad was the entrepreneur, my mom was, my mom was a teacher. And so she was very like, get, 
get an education, get a job, and um, you know, have a four hundred one k and settle. You know, do the whole normal thing. And my dad was very, yeah, go for it, fail your ass off kind of deal. You know, until you figure it out. You know, so it was it was a good balance um, at times. Obviously, you know, with any sort of start, there's always struggles. But yeah, it was it was great having them sort of guide us and help us through the whole journey. Did you know that you wanted to do something entrepreneurial uh, focused on skiing you, ever since you were kind of at that young age starting skiing or did that kind of develop uh, further further down the road? Um, I was always into starting my own business. I, as a kid, like in grade school, I would um, I figured out how – so like – when I was in grade school, there was the cafeteria, right? And the cafeteria would, when you're a kid, you felt like they would rip you off and charge you $2.50 for a chip witch or like for like regular, whatever candy it was. So I got the bright idea of coming into school and, you know, selling the same stuff for a quarter cheaper. <laughs> and um, so I did that and like, I don't even remember what grade that was. I feel like it was like fourth, fifth grade with a few friends of mine. Um, and sort of that, like, I guess sparked it originally, but I didn't really know it at the time. But as I got older, I sort of always fixated on that experience as like, this is fun. This is cool. You know, like I, I can sell four or five of these and I make $3 and I cover, you know, my snacks for the next two days or whatever it was. Um, and I guess that sort of just materialized, well, not materialized, but sat in my mind and, um, you know, it, that combined with just how much I love skiing, getting outside, the community aspect of it, I just realized I didn't want to be sitting behind a desk <laughs> for the rest of my life. Absolutely. I, I definitely hear you on that. With with all of that really interesting um, access to all the different types of skis that, that you had, uh, did that affect your kind of your ability to learn the sport and really try to try it from all these different angles with all these different equipment? Yeah, with definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing there was just really understanding the science, I guess, behind skiing. Um, like actually getting like how a turning radius works, um, understanding it and realizing that like, okay, if my ski is a 12 meter turning radius, I'm going to make really quick tight turns. And if I get something like a GS ski with like a 32 meter radius, I'm going to be turning like a ship. You know what I mean? I'm going to be making super wide arcing turns and i guess for some reason that sort of just made sense to me um when i first learned it and it intrigued me because i was like okay so like could i have a ski that had a really tight turning radius but was also good at turning wider like making wider turns and not scrubbing out so much so like it just sort of got the gears working in my mind and drew uh, my business partner he sort of led the way in wanting to start building skis he sort of mentioned it first. He was like, hey, yo, we should build these. And I was just like, yeah, totally, sure. And then he started doing research. He found a website, a forum called Ski Builders, which um, a lot of the big uh, ski, not big, but more well-known smaller brands like uh, ON3P uh, skis got founded on there. Like their founder was on there looking and researching and trying to figure out you know, how to build a ski press, what equipment you needed, could you build it himself, what materials, all that kind of crap. And um, once Drew started doing some of that, I sort of realized how possible it was, especially this, what was this? This was like uh, early, two, not early, two, so it was like 2008, 2009, I guess. And, you know, 
you could find anything on the internet. <laughs> and so I guess we sort of just slowly realized how possible it was. And, you know, we s- sort of just jumped in. <laughs> so this was when you're around like 17, 18 and I guess the end of high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my junior and senior year of high school, we started messing around with it. And then my freshman year and sophomore year of college is when we were really um, got into the building and we built, uh, Drew built a ski press in Georgia and I built one in New Jersey in my parents' basement, which is still sitting there. My mom wants to kill me. It's this giant, um, steel, um, not steel, iron. Uh, it's like giant I-beams. Basically it's two, um, about, I want to say 24 inch wide I-beams stacked on top of each other with space in between. Then obviously fire hose and bottom and top mold basically it weighs like 2000 pounds wow and uh my mom is like when the hell are you gonna get this out of my basement kind of a deal <laughs> um but yeah it, it was uh it was it was a super fun experience so what are those first ski prototypes that you made uh like work and function like were they were they pretty good uh well they didn't look good <laughs> <laughs> The, so Drew, Drew and I sort of. So Drew had his press down in Georgia. So his parents have like a, like eight or nine acres in Conyers, Georgia. And so he put up like one of those easy constructo buildings in his backyard with his dad. His dad's very um, good with his hands. He's been retired since he was in his in his mid forties. So he helped, He's always helped Drew with like a lot of his projects and stuff like that. And so they put up like a two hundred and fifty square foot little build steel building in their backyard and um he built his press and i built mine with one of my friends in new jersey in my parents basement it was sort of like a race to who could build the first functioning pair (laughs) kind of a deal um which is fun it was definitely competitive and it was it made us get it done quicker but the first pair i actually ever built i um i epoxied to my ski press i don't know for the listeners but um building skis they use um West Marine epoxy, which is basically like super glue on steroids. Um, and that's what binds the uh, different layers of the ski together. And then you have to let it cure for um, anywhere for two to eight hours, depending upon the temperature. And um, I didn't use parchment paper in between the um, bottom layer of the ski and the top layer of the ski, between the bottom mold and top mold of the press. And so I let it cure for about eight hours and I came back down super excited to like pull these things out and I go to pull them out and they're just like just cemented to the top, the bottom mold of my ski press. Oh, no. And I'm just like, yeah, shit, you know what I mean? Like all this time and I don't even have a damn pair of skis yet or whatever. And uh, so I had to take like a chisel and like basically chisel the ski out and, um, you know, we slowly got better at it. <laughs> Um, and, uh, we would, uh, build a few models, take them, test them all over the East coast. We took them out to Colorado a few times with us. Uh, we were very proud of a pair of, uh, powder skis, which you can see in our about us page. It's the first pair of powder skis we ever built. We named them Snor- storm and Norman. And they were like 138 underfoot and like a hundred and, um, 180 something, 86, I want to say in the tip, they were huge. They were like snowboards. And, um, they were super fun. <laughs> they were super fun, ugly skis, but they were, they were super fun to get on. And that, uh, you know, there's nothing like building, building something yourself and, you know, being able to get on them, try them, ski them. And it you just feel really good. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Yeah. I bet you really have a greater appreciation for the process of making skis after that as well. 
Yeah, I do. And that's essentially what got us into the e-commerce platform that you mentioned, uh, which was Ready Eddy 1.0 back in 2011. We originally, with Village Skis, we were going to start building and designing our own skis and create a, a line of like three or four pairs and um, or models, I should say. And we realized in all the research that there's like there's dozens of these microbreweries, so to speak, ski and ski brands, snowboard brands included, that are based all over the country in ski towns, whether it's in Burlington or, you know, um, Salt Lake City, Colorado, wherever, all over the place. There's tons of them, and not that many people knew about them or know about them then. You know, now there's a lot of them are a lot more mainstream, but we had an issue. Our, our basic, our, our annoyance was the fact that like you go into any ski shop anywhere in the country and you'll find the same five to 10 brands, you know, the Razzies, the K2s, the Vocals, the you know, the, it's just the sort of normal brands and none of these cool independent brands are anywhere except for ski shops that are local to their manufacturing hub. You know what I'm saying? So like if you're, if it was a company that was based in say Telluride, they'd be in like a handful of shops near Telluride, but you wouldn't find them in, you know, Jackson hole or in Vermont. So we wanted to sort of bring them all together and create a central hub so that anyone could go online and see all of the potential options, um, from these brands. Did you see a lot of challenges that were really similar across different brands that you really wanted to put in the the effort to try to kind of to help? You know, a lot of the a lot of the ski, the small ski kind of microbreweries, as you put it, probably had a, a pretty big issue of kind of getting the word out about what they're making, even if the quality is just as good as those 10 normal brands that you have. Uh, was that one of the main focuses in going into what you're doing with Ready Eddie? Yeah, it was exactly that. We wanted to we wanted to help the consumer discover new brands that, you know, they could get behind that they felt they could really connect with on a personal level. Like if you asked anyone about K2, like you're not going to personally be like, I love that brand. I mean, most people don't even know they're owned by Rubbermaid now, <laughs> you know? Really? Wow. Yeah. Exactly. So they're, they're, they're part of a big conglomerate, which isn't a problem. It's not a, like, that's not a bad thing, but right. if you want to buy skis from a, from, you know, Joe, who, you know, is an avid skier who gets out 150 days on the, on the snow and is, you know, putting his blood, sweat and tears into the product, that you're skiing on and riding on and takes your personal feedback to heart and works as hard as he can to make that the best damn ski you've ever been on. I just feel like that takes it to another level and people should have the opportunity to see all of the options out there. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about how Ready Yeti kind of relaunched to go from mainly ski winter type sports into really all types of outdoor gear yeah so we had the e-commerce platform for i want to say three three and a half seasons and i was in the middle of college my partner was also in the middle of college and it was just (laughs) it was a as you a fellow entrepreneur know running a business is a lot of work (laughs) let alone going to school and doing that. And then also having all your friends be like, Hey, let's do this. And then trying to ski as much as I possibly can. And so we got to a point with uh, ready Eddie as the e-commerce site where we needed to sort of make a decision. We needed to 
raise a decent amount of money to get it to that next level. And I was a junior in college and I just didn't have the resources or the time. So we made a decision. My partner didn't either. He's two, he's a year and a half younger than me. So he was a sophomore at the time. And so we decided to sort of shelve it and, um, focus on school and, um, get outside as much as possible. And, um, that was right after I got back from Salt, from Utah, actually. And so we created another site because for some reason we can't not be doing nothing at any point in time. It's just the way that we <laughs> apparently are. We started a site called American Yeti, which was um, basically a digital media site in outdoor sports. And we had about 15 people across the country contributing on their outdoor adventures, whether it was hiking, camping, climbing, skiing, kayaking, all of it. You know, I met a ton of people when I lived in Utah, uh, skiers, outdoor enthusiasts. You know, I, I skied with Olympic athletes, professional skiers, just so many really cool people. And so we wanted to share those people's stories. So we had them contributing, you know, about their daily adventures, weekly adventures, wherever they, whatever it was that they were doing. And we ran that for about a year and a half. And we brought on our third partner who is with us now, Matt Delabono. Um, he started working with us as a contributor then, and he uh, showed a real interest in what we we're doing and like sort of our mission. And he came on board, and we had a lull period after we shut down the media site um, for about a year, a year, year and a half. And um, I got a real job <laughs> working in finance. And um, then we came together to sort of come up with this idea of like, hey, there's all of these outdoor startups, we were one of them, where it was such a struggle to get noticed and get out there, and you can you can waste a shit ton of money um, marketing, and it can go nowhere if you don't know what you're doing. And a lot of them create really cool, innovative products, but none of them ever make it, not because that their product wasn't isn't awesome or valuable, but more so because you know, it could be anywhere from they don't understand fully how to manage a business or grow a business or just get out there kind of stuff. And we wanted to create a platform um, that could help them launch and get out there and get that exposure that they need to survive. Have you seen any personal stories from the companies that have been showcased on Ready Eddie that have really helped them to get the exposure they need to really take off? What do you mean? Like you're saying from working with us or? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, for sure. So we've we've worked with a number of brands at this point. Uh, I want to say at least 15 or so. Um, and we have so the way we, we, we try and structure our our giveaways. So right now we're a community of about 5000 plus outdoor sport enthusiasts um, ranging all over. We're about 80 percent in the U.S., um, I want to say most of the rest is in Canada and then sprinkled throughout Europe. Um, but our hub is really, um, North America for our community. And basically, um, when we work with a brand, uh, we make, do our best to obviously get the exposure out to our community and our community's friends and all of those people. But really, I think the value that we've added to, um, a number of these startups is the connections to people to other influencers right um so we had a company called grail which is a um they make a filtration 
just a water bottle, basically. That's um, you can filter water basically anywhere on the planet in 15 seconds using uh, a, uh, a press system. Basically, uh, it's revolutionary, and they've got patents on it. And um, in working with us, we introduced them to a number of people who run basically like nomad websites, uh, like uh, blogs and stuff like that. People who uh, travel and backpack and all that kind of stuff who have crazy huge followings. And as a result of the giveaway, we've been able to connect them together and now they can work together and expand the reach of Grail. So for us, be, uh, we feel that the partnerships and just the networking that we offer and exposure um, really adds the most value. And having a brand come back to us being like, I've, I really appreciate this connection. This would never have happened if I didn't do this. You know, that makes me so happy just because I know that what we're doing is valuable and helpful to brands and the consumer. Cause on the, on the flip side, you know, you have the everyday outdoor enthusiast and they're like, Oh my God, there's all these brands that never knew existed. Like I get it. We get emails daily being like, this brand is the coolest brand ever. I love them. I'm going to be a fan of them forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of stuff like basically thanking us for introducing them to them kind of a thing. And that in itself also is just like, that's great. It just, it, that's why we do this. Absolutely. I'm sure it's so rewarding to see the personal stories of uh, things like you just mentioned, people finding these brands that they've never known about that they really connect with. And it's, it's really exciting to see the effect that, that it has on those people, I'm sure. But for you personally, what's it like to have a company that lets you accomplish that mission you had back when you were just a teenager of wanting to be able to do something you love that follows your passions and lets you ski as much as you can. I mean, it's a, it's, it's everything I ever wanted. (laughs) You know, it's, it's still has a long way to go. Um, like anything, it's always about the journey, not so much the destination. Um, so for us, the idea, like, what we're doing and helping all these brands and being able to get outside and get, make sure that we're actually immersed in the outdoor world. That's great. And that's wonderful. But for us, I think what's most valuable is the change that we can sort of help create going forward. The idea of picking a brand based not on just the quality of the product, but on the, mission, belief, and values of the company and founders and understanding and knowing who they are. Like we live in a in a time where you can now do that. You know, it used to be where it was you buy the product, whoever you buy from the company that has the best product. Now everyone has a great product. Not everyone has a great product, but most brands out there have a great product. So what differentiates brands now, I feel, is being able to create that um sense of community values that align with their consumers. And if you can do that, A, you can help progress the outdoor industry, whatever industry it is, into a positive direction, but also create a great product. And uh, that's ultimately what we want to do. And it's it's a damn good feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. I bet. And you're so right. Now is the, the best time in history to, to be able to do that um, for the uh, for the the cheapest and lowest cost uh, means um, more so than any other time that's that's ever existed. So, what advice would you give to someone that may want to start their own business that lets them pursue their passions for the outdoors? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
for me, I, so when I first wanted to become an entrepreneur, I didn't really understand how much work went into it. And so I guess the advice I would give to someone is, I'll give the short version and then the long version. The short version is fail fast (laughs) and learn. And the long version is to sort of expand on that is if you have an idea or a business, if you think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, it might be, it also might not be. So what I would do is make sure I would test it before you spend a ton of time on it, money on it, get people's feedback, find out if people would actually buy it, pay something for it and get their feedback because the consumer ultimately is going to dictate what you sell because they're the ones who are going to buy. So you might have this wonderful idea that you think is, you know, revolutionary in whatever industry it is, but it might not be anything anyone wanted. Like the Segway is a perfect example of a revolutionary product that nobody wants to buy because it's what problem does it really solve? <laughs> like if you look at the Segway, it's a $2,000 bike or $3,000 bike where you could get, you know, a bike on Craigslist for 75 bucks, which essentially solves the same problem. It's not like you're going to use the Segway for you to get from point A to point B. No, you're going to use a bike. It's just impractical. Um, while it's a cool idea, it's not going to really make you the money or create the lifestyle that you want. So my advice would be read the lean startup and make sure you test it before you spend all your money and time on it. <laughs> that is excellent advice. <laughs> so true. If, uh, <laughs> if you could go back and talk to that fourth grade version of yourself that was selling candy in school at lunch uh, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, Sell more candy? (laughs) Sell a lot more candy. I, hmm, that's really, I, hmm, that's a tough one. Let me think about that. Um, I would say there's so many things. I would say don't care so much about what other people think. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me. And that prevented me many times from jumping like sort of, headfirst into starting or working towards what I wanted to work on. And I guess that's somewhat contradictory to what I just said in the advice, but uh, I'll explain. <laughs> I, um, when I graduated high school, I was considering putting off college for a bit to travel and start a few businesses and just sort of see what I wanted, what it is that I wanted to do. Um, And instead, I caved to the peer pressure of, you need to go to college. You need to prove that you're going to a good school and that you're smart, right? I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, But um, I think that not doing that and sort of following what you ultimately want to do is most important. And if, you know, a college degree is something that you need or should pursue, I think that for me making sure that I figured out what I wanted before I jumped into it would have saved me a lot of headache, <laughs> so to speak. So I guess it would be don't don't um, care so much about what other people think it would be my advice to my fourth grade year old self. <laughs> that's that's really great advice. And uh, I know that probably really resonates with a lot of people that are listening that might be going through the exact same type of decision that that you had to make as well. So 
It really means a lot that you shared your story with us, and it's been fascinating to to hear the behind the scenes um, kind of version of of how you got from um, you know making those skis and that two thousand pound uh, piece of equipment in your <laughs> mom's basement to to what Ready Yeti is today. And it's it's really an inspiring story, and I I got to say thanks so much for. For coming on the podcast and for everyone listening out there we didn't say this in the beginning of the episode because i was you know was worried that well it's true my interview skills aren't as good as yours but josh actually has his own <laughs> podcast um called you know the ready eddie podcast and uh it is an absolutely awesome extension of what they do at ready eddie um so definitely go check that out and if you want to hear a host that's actually really awesome at what he does uh, then go check that out and you'll really enjoy it. But thanks so much for coming on Inside the Adventure with us, Josh. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Without a doubt, Marshall, I really appreciate it. And I love what you guys are doing at Best Diego. And don't sell yourself short. You are definitely just as good of a podcast interviewer as I am. And if your listeners want to learn a little bit more about you guys, you, you, you can definitely, they can uh, head over to the Ready Yeti podcast and hear your episode. Um, but yeah, with that, I, I appreciate the, you uh, inviting me on and um, to your listeners um, for taking the time. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. That was the story of Josh Salvo and ReadyEddy.com, which, by the way, recently launched a very exciting new product with the Ready Yeti membership, which gives all of its members up to 40% off over 50 of the outdoor startups they work with across their platform for the entire year. So if you really liked Josh's story and you want to help support Josh and the Ready Yeti team, I can't think of a better way than going to ReadyYeti.com and being one of their ambitious 6,000 new members that they're shooting for to sign up this year. If you or someone you know has your own adventure story and would like to be featured on the show, you can contact us by visiting vestigo.co slash podcast. While on our website, you can also listen to our past episodes and subscribe to the show. Remember, your next adventure is right around the corner. The only thing stopping you is you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Inside the Adventure.